attempting a new setup, I think should improve some sound things. How so? Fucking some angles, some height adjusted situations, some, uh, you know, it's, it's, a little, it's a little technologically above your head. It's a little above my head. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for letting me uh, letting me into your world. I really appreciate yeah. that. You know, I got the uh, got the room set up as soundproofed as possible to hide the content coming out of my mouth from my loved ones. Yeah, I'm putting my phone into airplane mode, or else when this is over, I'm gonna like open up and have all these ads for like children's clothing and like girls' bathing suits. <laughs> I, uh, I have like like towels on the the bottom of the door so that sound doesn't come out. I put blindfolds on all of my toys in the near vicinity, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're good to go. Yeah, all of my action figures are turned away from me right now. All uh, of my childhood heirlooms. <laughs> yeah, I watched about half of it this morning with Rachel. She wanted to. <laughs> well, I wanted to skim back through it so I'd stop confusing it with the other Netflix film, His House, that I keep confusing it with. Um, <laughs> so now I've got the two completely separated. You're, you're, you're concerned about your uh, your phone starting to advertise little girls' clothing to you, yet you've watched Cuties twice now. <laughs> I know. I, I, <clears throat> I told Rachel that by having replayed it, I, I put myself on a second group of lists. It's yeah. like the first group of lists are for people that accidentally watch Cuties or didn't yeah. really know the full Those deal. Those people get a pass. There's definitely a list for the multiple viewers. Yeah, for sure. who's watched it two times or in fragments and then rewinded it several times is for sure in jail already. Right? <laughs> I, I If they haven't they haven't checked that you uh, you paused it, rewound it, then started typing furiously onto your laptop. <laughs> it detected moisture in my remote um, soon after. Um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I'm boop. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> and uh, today we are going to be uh, looking at a movie so that you don't have to. Um, that movie is the 2020 film Cuties. Um, it is a horror thriller film written and directed by Remy Weeks, starring Wonmi Musaku, Sope Desiru, and Matt Smith. The film tells a story of a refugee couple from South Sudan struggling to their new life in an English town that is evil lurking beneath the surface. Dan, what did you think of that? That, that sounds. I, I think that sounds like a correct description of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'm trying to limit as much as I'm trying to figure out how to navigate a podcast while saying as little as possible about this. I, I, you know, I, I just read the entire synopsis of his house, right? I, I no, I wasn't. <laughs> <it off. laughs> 
when you, you said ruined, you fucking ruined that joke. When you said when you said all of the uh, all of those names, I'm like that sh- that tracks. Exactly, exactly, Dan. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, that is not the plot of this movie. That's the plot of once again um, the <laughs> kind of good, s- sort of good um, horror do, film. Do you want to like stop this and run it again? Do no. that joke again. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I was reading my notes. I knew you were gonna blow that. Um, anyway, uh, this is a film called Cuties. Uh, it's a 2020 French coming of age drama film, written and directed by Maya Moon- Maya Muna Decore. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. In her feature directorial debut, the film stars Faithia Yusuf, Medina El Adina Azuni. Esther, okay, this is just, I mean, there's eight more of them. The plot revolves around a a Senegalese French girl with a traditional Muslim upbringing who is caught between traditional values and internet culture. Um, The filmmakers claim that it is intended to criticize the hypersexualization of pre-adolescent girls. Um, Doesn't feel like that. I felt like it was more like Footloose by the way of Jeffrey Epstein, but um, however you want to describe it. I have it marked as uh, Bring It On by the Way of Kids. Harmony Corinne's You Got Served. (laughs) Harmony Corinne's You Got Served. (laughs) I love that. Um, So why are we watching this movie today? Why? if you haven't heard of it at all, um, is this such a controversial episode and such a controversial thing for us to do? Um, it boils down to some very simple facts. So I, I know I've shared this multiple times with the podcast, um, but my work environment is very right-leaning. Um, it's basically just like a tractor on a flag. Um, and, um, the people at my work a couple months ago started, uh, talking about canceling their Netflix Netflix subscription. Um, and by talking, I mean several of my coworkers canceled their Netflix subscription and were going on and on about how Netflix is a bunch of pedophiles and kind of this QAnon edge um, towards criticizing Netflix for releasing something that was tantamount to child pornography. Um, now, many times in the Movie Blues podcast, we like to be the contrarian. It's in fact in many ways, our job and central purpose. If the entire culture says, this is not okay, we look at it and decide, maybe it is okay. If the entire culture says, this is fucking amazing, we're praying to God that we hate it. Um, It makes things more interesting, it spices things up, and in this case, there's nothing that makes me happier than telling my coworkers they are wrong. Um, I watched this film, I mean, yes, in in maybe for the pod, but also my main intent was i'm going to watch this film which is again about a 11 year old french girl who lives in a ex- extremely strict muslim environment and through exposure to media dance and kind of the controversial nature of some of her, her new friends she meets at school she starts to kind of open up in her sexuality, open up in her curiosity, etc. It's basically the plot of a lot of movies, like you mentioned, Kids, I mentioned Footloose. There's a lot of movies where repressed, kind of right-leaning people in a in a very black-and-white situation uh, suddenly see the color of the world and suddenly open up to new experiences. Um, I'm cool with that. I was hoping, going into this movie, that I was going to see a, a stern honest portrayal of childhood, a um, unabashed and non-exploitative look at certain sexual issues that kids around the world are always facing, especially with internet culture and things like that. And I prepared to come into work to kind of tell everybody, look, you guys once again have missed the mark. This cancel Netflix thing is just a QAnon 
trail of ridiculousness and you guys are missing the fact that um you know you think a bunch of pedophiles are watching this but in the end of the day this is a a stirring serious drama that should be taken seriously given awards accolades and the like you think your coworkers would have been more into it given it's uh fiercely anti-muslim sentiment i think that that definitely would have started them off in the right direction yeah <laughs> but there's a big but here I watched the movie, and that is what my coworkers have not done. Something else that bothers me is anyone. I don't care if it's Dan Enden talking about the MCU or Lord of the Rings. I don't care if it's my coworkers <laughs> talking about cuties. Anyone who has not experienced a piece of art for themselves does not have the right to fully condemn it. I think that you need to experience something to experience it. it oh, dude, I was you're drinking out of the Stormtrooper one. I was going to do the Darth Vader one, but the cup was so big. <laughs> I had tea. Dude, how perfect would that have been? That Sick. You um, fucked that up. So yeah, just so so people know how far this cancel Netflix thing went. Um, this wasn't the first time that people tried to cancel Netflix. Um, Republicans tried it in 2018, following Netflix's confirmation that it had signed a multi-year deal with Barack and Michelle Obama to produce a series of titles. Um, earlier this year, people threatened to cancel Netflix over the film 365 Days, a movie that petitioners argued glorified sexual violence against women. And at the same time, people are calling for others to cancel Netflix over cuties. There's a petition for fans of the show of shows like Jessica Jones, The OA, and Anne with an E hosting a, quote, cancel Netflix campaign to try to bring attention to their favorite series that have been canceled. So, like, people are trying to cancel Netflix all over the place. And I want to say something that I, I just thought of that I think is kind of critical. When a movie like Cuties came out in theaters, let's say the movie 13 is a good example to compare yeah. this to. When 13 came out in theaters, it was controversial. Yes, it was rated R. Yes, kids couldn't go see 13 particularly. The thing about it is that we are entering a culture where Netflix is available and open to anyone, any title. I mean, you can have a child restricted, but at the end of the day, I would assume a lot of people don't and that yeah. their kids can watch pretty much anything. That is a huge difference from when you and I were kids. And we couldn't go see a movie like this. This would be something that we would really have to either dig up or you know find on our own volition. The fact is this is available to everyone. So these QAnon people who would never watch an art house cinema film about a Muslim girl getting her period, now are being subjected to this because it's on the, uh, you know, you go to Netflix, top 10 in the country. It was like yeah. number one for like three weeks. There's also the Netflix was did what I I think was a pretty misguided marketing campaign of it of changing right. the, you the title. You want to talk about that? Um, I don't know. I, I think before we we move on too far, we should address that there is a, a third reason that we had to watch this movie, Why and that? that is the podcast has a long-standing tradition of sequels. You know, we do a sequel to James Bond each time. Um, we've done I'm several dreading, Fast and the Furious movies. Like um, you know, uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog episode was the uh, the sequel to Detective Pikachu, and this is, you know, obviously the sequel to the Cats episode because it too is made up of misguided kitty porn. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's packed with pussy. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, you it's the same same joke, kitty um, porn, kitty. Like, get it? Kitties. I got, I got you, buddy. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, stop the reel. Um, okay, so... Um, sorry, thank, sorry. Thank sorry, you. Um, as I was trying to get Dan to further describe, Netflix made a decision before releasing this film where they changed the poster 
Um, the original poster for the film, as released in France, was the group of girls, the cuties, as it were, all standing, like, with shopping bags, like, jumping during a scene when they're all in the street after a shopping spree. Yeah, a very bizarre scene where they're throwing confetti everywhere as they <laughs> frolic over a bridge. Netflix changed <laughs> it to, like, kind of like, um kind of like a bring it on style poster like if you were to see a poster for like bring it on three you'd see just like a bunch of girls in cheerleading outfits like with their butts hanging out uh the difference here is that the girls are 11 and that's about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like you know i also went into it we, we talked about it a lot doing this episode was hotly debated for since the beginning of this controversy right. all and of our guests dropped out <laughs> everyone refused to do this episode with us yeah. and it's just like the real world where people are scared of something that they don't understand that they have not seen that they feel cucked by Josh and <laughs> um, and and at the end of the day you need to experience important art you need right. to go out there and make a difference you need to go out there and see something that shows you a part of the world that needed exploration this was not that yeah film <laughs> we we all agree dan and i both agree that film should be transgressive and the envelope should always be pushed some of our favorite horror films are some of the absolute most heart-wrenching fucking grotesque sure. one pieces of art that 30 years ago would have landed a person in jail for creating um, you know, there is a very important line to toe in art between taboo and acceptability. Sure. Um, and but it always needs to do so with a purpose. You know, we've disagreed about the film kids when I was when I was a kid and saw kids. I as someone growing up in like a shitty poor town full of hoodlums. I, uh, I connected to it, but now when I rewatch it, I don't think it's a great movie, but I see the reason to have made that movie. I see the sure. artistic value in the movie. Similarly, 13, I think, holds up as a great movie. Right. Um, similarly, Euphoria on HBO, as we've oh, talked yeah. about. Oh, my God, like, yeah. they're, they're, These are all things that feature youth. In- and arguably, Dan, um, Euphoria arguably has much more graphic depictions of sexuality, of of technically minors, um, I, I I was not unsettled by Euphoria in the fashion that I was unsettled by this film. Um, yeah, because Euphoria ultimately always feels like it is making a statement. This well, one, but, but but also going back to the poster thing, whoever at Netflix made that marketing decision, that person is extremely sus. <laughs> right, <laughs> and 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 to that. Um, to that effort, um, they actually apologized for the poster. Um, a statement posted to Netflix's official account on August 20th read, quote, we are deeply sorry for the inappropriate artwork that we used for cuties. Um, it was not okay, nor was it representative of this French film that won an award at Sundance. Um, I'm going to disagree with that. It is very representative of the film yeah. that I saw. <laughs> yeah, so when I went into it, it is when, precisely what Initially, we when I presented that we need to watch this and there was all this reluctance, I was like, dude, there's no way it's going to be as bad as it is. It's all just right-wingers freaking out. Of course. The, 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 the marketing is probably misguided. Which is blah, why blah, we latched onto it, yes. Yeah, so I was like, I was like, this is going to be one of those classic episodes where we find the awesome value in something. And then when I watch it, and I, I literally turned to Kat and I was like, they probably should have just kept the original poster. <laughs> or, or kept the original Netflix poster, rather. Because when I saw when I saw the revised one, I was like, "Oh yeah, art film." And then the first like twenty minutes of the movie, I was like, "Oh, art film." 
and then by the end, I was like, the the controversial poster seems a little bit more indicative of what I ended up watching. So I, I feel like this is going to be a tough film for us to review. This is going to be an interesting challenge, um, and I, I want to. It's go- an easy film to review. I think it's a tough film to joke about. This is a comedy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is a comedy slash movie review podcast, and we may be leaning harder into movie review for this one. So if you're expecting us to have like a good old laugh in this one, it may not be. Uh, yeah. You may want to go actually check out the Cats episode. <laughs> yeah, the, the laughter in this episode is strictly nervous laughter. You can tell from uh, the Dan Enden missing my only joke pre-written of the entire podcast in the first five minutes that this is not going to be an LOLzers. <laughs> yeah, I was spending that time crushing up a Xanax to make it through this. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I want to go through this in a variety of ways. Okay, let's let's first of all talk about um, what was successful about this movie, what worked about this film, um, and what message ultimately did it send. Now, when, when I finished it at first, I was bewildered. I did not leave this film with any clear, discernible message in mind from the director. I was just so unsettled by what I had watched that I really did not think about it. But now it's been about a week or two. Um, I rewatched it in spurts with Rachel this morning and she kind of gave me her take about what she thinks the, the ultimate takeaway is or messages, which I, I agree with to some extent. Um, but just so everybody knows, again, we're, we're portraying two different worlds in this film. The first world being portrayed in this film um, is the protagonist, Ami. Her family is a strict, devout Muslim family. This is covered up, um, you know, wearing not burqas, but um, kind of like burqa juniors, like right before you're in the full black burqa. Um, um, they have a very sp- specifically strict culture in which um, Ami's mother is getting married to a second man. Um, or no, Ami's no, father no, is no. getting to a, married to a second woman. Um, and um, kind of everybody has to deal with the fallout from that. Yeah, let's call that the D plot. Yeah, that's the D plot. Um, and the D plot is the most successful plot in this film. As Dan alluded to, the first 20 minutes of this film are highly watchable and acceptable, and I would argue extremely effective. Yeah. Um, Dan, oh, yeah. Would, you, would you say so? I, until I'd say the half hour point of the movie, I was like, okay, this is exactly what I was hoping it was going to be. This is a well-made film. There's a lot, there's a, there's a clear A plot, there's a clear B plot, there's already a clear C plot. Um, all of them are coming together. This is going to be a coming-of-age tale about a girl escaping from the oppressive, uh, far-right extremist Muslim upbringing while being, uh, you know, it's a fish-out-of-water story almost. She's she's in a, a more secular environment because she lives in, like, a housing project. Um, this is her trying, you know, coming to terms with the reality of the environment in which she lives in versus the environment... Uh, being forced upon her by her mother while on a daily basis being sent to a school that totally subverts what she's being presented at home. This I can work with. Yes, Um, and and not only this I can work with, but I would argue that this would have made a pretty stirring film and would have made a fine, dramatic um, observation of that culture, of what's wrong and what's right about it, and all those things are in it. I mean, and it's really got like his house vibes for for that chunk of the film. Yes, which is why I keep confusing both of them. <laughs> it's kind of like an immigrant struggle in a in a kind of overwhelmingly white and non accepting culture that acts very differently differently from them, and 
you know, social points are being made kind of subtly. There is a scene in this film in which Ami, very early on, is hiding under her bed and listens to her mother have a heartbreaking series of phone calls where she is forced to call her relatives and admit to them that her husband is taking another wife and act as if she's happy about it, as if this is what she wants, so that she can save face in her culture. Um, right. That scene was one of the most stirring scenes I've seen in a drama in a long time. Yes, and that girl's performance, the little girl's performance in there. Fantastic. It's, it's one of those classic art film shots where it's nothing happening but a, a still shot on the girl's face under the bed for, I'd say, three, four minutes, and you're just watching her slowly understand what she's hearing. Eventually, four minutes into it, a, a couple tears go down her face. It's, a, it's an incredible performance, but this... This moment is, I'm not going to say this is the, the narrative, the crux of the narrative problem, because there are clearly so many more problems with the film. But my biggest like narrative problem is that this scene is so poignant and so powerful, yet ultimately this plot ends up being totally left by the wayside for the overwhelming majority of the movie and is ultimately pretty inconsequential. Well, I could argue against that a little bit. I mean, I, I would argue that kind of Ami is on two diverging paths, one of which is heading towards like this more sexualized, Americanized, um, for lack of a better word, slutty lifestyle that she researches and, and goes toward. And the other path is is her Muslim upbringing and kind of we're, we're left teetering back and forth between scenes of, of one, scenes of the other. Now- But, it, I, but the movie doesn't decide which, like what it right. wants to imply is the proper path because by the end, Spoiler alert. But is it not an option, Dan, that she takes neither path? This is what I've discovered by today, right? So by the end of the movie last time, and again, think of Footloose. Think of any movie where someone is either radicalized or sexualized in a religious environment. I'd typically, be thinking about Footloose. Typically, um, typically what happens is that they are experiencing this other culture. They see what's good about it. They see what's bad about it. Maybe it doesn't go great. But at the end of the day, at the end of the film, a side is taken and a decision is made about which of these lifestyles is better, arguably, for our protagonist to lead. And I think at the end of this film, she decides that neither is. And both are portrayed extremely negatively, whereas in Footloose or something like that, the other side is portrayed as freeing and open and accepting and tolerant. The, girl, the girls that she ends up shacking up with as the cuties are every bit as intolerant, cruel, and, and dismissive of Ami as the religion is. Oh, so yeah. there, there is no balance in that sense. And I think by the end of it, I would argue that the message was take neither path, um, which is a bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Yeah, but um, it's, it's like, what problem. option do you have then? Because if you follow a typical narrative arc, what you're presented with is we the cat, the cat and mouse misdirect where, oh, look at all the oppressive nature of her religious upbringing. At let let's watch her explore the secular world, which ends up swallowing her whole and is totally just ultim ultimately morally abject, just worse. Right. So then, yes. at the climax of the film, she has the realization that she needs to go back home. The implication being that she's going to go more along that path. I feel, but ultimately, like to go along that path would imply that she's going to end up leading the same life as her miserable aunt, her miserable mother, who we saw the entire first act like living in pure despair. Yeah. Um, like. Like, to read it the way that you just presented, where the the correct answer is to take neither, like, 
yeah, that's that's. I I just don't know that I saw that being depicted within the film. Like, well, the final scene of the movie, um, you know, really has her at the crux of both um, lifestyles. In in the Hercules lifestyle, they have their huge tournament. Um, and and huge dance in front of a crowd and in her Muslim lifestyle it's the day of her father's marriage to this other woman right um, so she bails out of the dance competition out of fear and you can see there's some kind of yeah. conflict happening and within we her we can spend an entire fucking episode unpacking that scene alone because that <laughs> scene is ultimately the reason why this movie failed in my opinion and if they had made some different choices in that scene this movie could have been salvaged then she goes home to the wedding, and she doesn't participate in that either. Um, and then kind of just walks out into the street and flies into the air, literally. So at the end of the film, uh, we end up having a situation where she doesn't want to go either direction. She doesn't want to be at her father's ceremony or with her culture, with her family, and she does not want to be with the cuties either. She abandons them at their time of need the most for her, which assumedly the way that they've been acting the whole movie towards her – They'll never speak to her again, right? After right. she ends up leaving this performance, she's. I mean, for sure in their defense, her. she's been acting like a full-blown fucking lunatic for the third act. Yes, yes, and we'll get into all that when we go into the negative zone. Um, <laughs> but, but I just want to say that, and 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 shout out to my wife who's probably listening to this. She kind of helped me see that there is a world in which that is the message, where anyone be it the cuties on one end of the aisle. I mean, look at it as just a political thing. Any form of extremism um, can end up kind of taking you over um, and being negative no matter what the initial intent is. So in this girl's case, um, the cuties are way too far in the extreme zone and and the Muslim culture is also way too far as well. Now, Rachel's commentary also is that her outfit that she comes out in in the final scene is a mix between both sensibilities. She's like covered up, but she's not in like full cuties mode. So maybe as a result of experiencing both of these cultures, she becomes kind of a neutral force. She becomes a, an enlightened centrist. Sure. Um, and we all love those. Um, and uh, so, so the bottom line is, is there a message to this movie? Maybe. Yes, I think there is. But was it conveyed well? Not really. I, I and, don't think it was. And, and did the path that we took to get there effectively get us there? And was it all necessary? You know, throughout, throughout this film, I was thinking, you, you know, like Chekhov's gun, the concept of Chekhov's gun. Right. Of, of uh, for 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 non-pretentious film student listeners, Chekhov's gun is the concept that anything on the screen should serve the purpose of the plot. If there is a gun on a wall, then that gun should be used later. Right. So, uh, basically, in this movie, if you are going to see an eleven-year-old's camel toe, there should be a concrete reason that we had to do so. Um, it's like I was watching a movie last night called Greenland. It's like this big disaster movie with Gerard Butler. And yeah. in the first two minutes of the movie, again, this is a movie about a comet slamming into Earth. In the first two minutes of the movie, he's like, "My son, he has." diabetes and then they like pan down to his pump connected to his uh waist and it's just like okay like yeah can't imagine this is gonna cause any fiasco later in the plot yeah, exactly um, so um i think that what we have done in this review so far fantastically is bury the lead i'd say this is probably the biggest example <laughs> of burying the lead we've done in a while would you agree 
Yes. Because we haven't really talked about like what we're all here for, what you've probably tuned into this for, which is a, a variety of us describing what unsettled us about this film and a mix between that and making a real assertive decision about is this the kind of movie that can be classified as child pornography, right? Yeah. I mean, it's bewildering that this is a movie that I watched on a family streaming service and not on the Tor browser. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised that this film did not arrive uh, in black plastic sheet wrap in my mail. <laughs> and <laughs> and like, was... I understand, you know, the, the French are are prone to more transgressive cinema. Sure, but extreme so cinema as well. I, I also went into it with that with, with sure. that mind mindset. But good God, did the sexualization of children not serve the plot for this movie to the degree that it was shown? Right. Like, um, and I tried to also I, I tried to also take it from the perspective of like, okay, this is a female filmmaker. Maybe she's trying to show uh, a glimpse of what it was like to be a, a child in France at that age, like a young girl. Like I'm sure there was some of her own experience in that. But right. God, all of all of the the cuties in question are just. Well, I, I hesitate to use the C word to describe 11-year-old children. They are the worst. Again, they, they self-describe themselves as the cuties. Um, so yeah. it's totally fine to say that they're a bunch of cuties that That's... like <laughs> shaking their rumps um, all over town. That's what cuties are prone to do and want these, to do. These girls bully each other relentlessly. Um, they, 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 they touch each other. They, they smack each other. They're steadily spanking each other playfully. They're bullying strangers. They're getting into fights. They're just let's, little. They're little hoodlums. Yes. Let's get something straight right off the bat. Um, the group of girls, the cuties themselves, are reprehensible. I mean, they are terrible people. They treat Ami like absolute garbage, and I think that it almost. <laughs> they call her home. Her name as if her name is homeless for the first third yeah. of the movie. <laughs> the first third of the movie. When one of them homeless. lives in the same apartment building as her, um, they know she's not homeless. One of them hangs out at her home. <laughs> It is once stated in this film, quote, women must be pious because in hell there will be many more women than men. And after having seen this group of girls, I'm fully confident of that fact. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, the way that these kids acted was not only sexually reprehensible and way beyond their years, but was also just terrible. I mean, they were mean. They were rotten people to each other. They made fun of each other's physical appearances constantly. They were in a unending um, competition to kind of out each other and just outdo each other and be awful to each other. It's like if, it's like if Mean Girls like, like was like supposed to be the positive element in a film, <laughs> opposed to like the opposition against it. So like yeah. very early on, the viewer is slammed with this notion of like, well, both of these worlds suck. Like there's no, and that leaves you with nothing to grasp onto as a viewer. I mean, I understand that that may the Schrodinger like the Schrodinger's cutie element that that both things might be true both things might be either better or worse for her but at the end of the day like the mm. is fully represented as such it's a pretty it, good episode title Schrodinger's cutie yeah. <laughs> um and uh yeah I mean okay so I, I I still feel like we're bearing the lead I gotta get out there with this okay I'm gonna give you my my fullio thoughts here because again I walked into this being like I am going to 
go tell my coworkers that this is not child porn. They're ignorant, stupid people that they, you know, misjudged things and, and misrepresented things. They did not. Um, <laughs> um, one of the first things you learn in film school uh, before you flunk out is that um, there's, something, there's something in film that is critical. That is, you can literally track it um, by the decade. You can see how it advances throughout cinematic culture. And that is the male gaze. The male gaze is probably the biggest offending element of this film. Now, male gaze, what Let's is Let's back to Lolita, if we will. The male gaze is a basically an observation made by film critique um, that says that films, especially when they're directed by men, are evident in their exploitation of the female form. So if a woman walks in the room, and this is 1920, and it's like directed by Barry Gibbs, and like a woman walks in the room, and he's like, show me those cans. And then like, the, you know, the camera just zooms yeah. in, or whether you're looking at like um, 70s horror, 60s horror, things like that. Or it's, it's also heavily used in literature, the, the defined, my, I'm gonna go from the English major perspective of it was sure. constantly driven home for The Great Gatsby is like one giant book of the male gaze. Sure. And the male, yeah, the male gaze can be expressed through literature. It really is just like when you are consuming a piece of media that um, has any kind of gender diversity going on, you can tell when the male gaze is too much. You can see the camera lingering on body parts that do not overall enhance anything in the rest of the film other than the exploitation of that body part. Um, right. Now, this film could have averted that. Again, this is directed by a woman of color who is from the exact situation in some ways as Ami is. It very well could have presented itself in a more implicative way, in a more yeah. subtle way. And Dan, if I ain't lying, if I ain't trying, buddy, there was an 11-year-old's crotch from end to end on my 65-inch TV shaking up and fucking down for two hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt, I got the impression, at least this is what I'm telling myself, is that the director was trying to make a commentary on th that very male gaze what? Uh, centric thing by overemphasizing it so much so as to make the viewer uncomfortable and make them question themselves as to why because okay. the idea there being no that any that of these camera any of these camera angles and uh cinematographical the the decisions if performed on a, a regular aged woman would be tip completely standard and totally par for the course for any movie yeah, of this nature. But you have young children. You don't need to go even half as far as they went with the cinematography. No, agreed. Agreed go. entirely. You I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying to look at what purpose a, a woman of color director could have for doing this. I, there I has to be a motivation was, for it. Nope. I think that it was just she got very comfortable with her cast and they started filming it and because it's dancing and twerking and shaking she thought that she could shoot it like a music video and and she did and there are scenes and passages in this film unrelated to the plot where the cuties are like on a staircase and they all are twerking and opening their crotches and sucking their fingers and staring yeah. directly into the Dude, camera even, there is no intent even to the point where it's in slow motion and it cuts to one and it's just the girl staring at the camera like biting her lip like it was weird it's just I'm, I'm going to be as, as plain as I possibly can. I hate that I have to say this. There's absolutely no reason for the exploitation of children in this film. There's no reason for the lengths to which they expose the bodies and sexual nature of these children. You could do what they did in this film with implication or, totally. with, a, or with a slightly 
retracted sense of photography where okay you have these girls twerking do not zoom the camera literally into their crotch do not yeah. zoom the camera into their private parts I, as I they are do not there is literal literal camel toe if you were a pedophile and this is <laughs> i should have made a segment called if i was a pedophile but that's just this whole episode um and <laughs> if you were a pedophile you would absolutely gain a tremendous amount of sexual enjoyment from this film yes um, there is no end to which this film is going to be cut up into pieces and sent around seedy internet holes for the rest of time oh, and they try they tried to justify it all by having it be like oh when she first meets the cuties they're like they're a dance troupe and sure they're like a little over sexualized but it's still not as gratuitous as it becomes but then it's after uh ami is that the main character's name yes uh she they're they're all watching on their phones like some some french music videos like really really raunchy music videos of like women just like jiggling each other's asses like really like music videos of a nature that i have not seen in america wish they were more prevalent but it's like she sees those and then they start replicating those by right. like just and they and they also try to soften it by when they're at their the the climax scene, the dance competition, the, the crowd at first seems like pretty put off by it. But like <sighs> even though they had to audition with the exact same routine in order to get into that competition to begin with, and those judges loved it, it's the biggest problem, Dan, of what you're talking about here, what that needs to be addressed immediately is that and, and this is what is so confounding about this film and its sexual content is that, uh, again, look, look at Dirty Dancing, right? She, the girl comes from a conservative background, goes into a club and sees all these people bumping and grinding and blah, blah, blah. And then she's ingratiated into that community, learns how to do that style of dance, da, 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 right? This was different. And what made this so different was that the cuties did not introduce Ami to any of this. Ami, on her own volition over sexualized herself by using the internet and looking into all these horrendous things she is the one that teaches the cuties to take it up to the next level now what is so important about that distinction is it derails any messaging that the film has about this is the effect that this group of girls in specific is having on Ami. Then it becomes just internet culture, sexual nature, everything external to the cuties has more of an impact on Ami than anything the girls did. I mean, the girls like dancing, the girls like- I mean, I I think that was intentional is that they are, she was, while the girls are all initially presented as horrible, it's trying to get across the message that ultimately all of these flawed actions are the result of environmental factors. And that compounding them upon each other just accentuates them and exacerbates them. So, like, yeah, these girls were already bitches. But once Ami, who has grown up in this household where the Internet is not okay, she discovers the Internet by stealing a cell phone. And within days, these girls are, like, scissoring each other. It's just for, for the action of change, for the agent of change to be Ami is such a weird flex it's so bleak it's just like wow like you have no one to latch on to like okay in 13 you latch on to the girl who like isn't pushing the ball up the hill you know what i mean right in in these movies you always latch on to the person who is is our window into both of the worlds that are being experienced you latch on to the person who is 
being corrupted. Right. Where, whereas this movie, that person quickly suddenly became the corrupter. And, and, and okay, maybe that's interesting. And okay, maybe there's a film or, or a discussion to be had about that, but it leaves you with no one to, to identify. No, especially no. with how Ami's behavior becomes by the end, which is just fucking bonkers. It starts as a she, movie She becomes, like, sadistic. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, Ami's behavior... The movie turns from, like, okay, this is dirty dancing to, okay, this is kids. Because kids is, like the kind of movie where you're not following any particular person because everybody's a piece of shit. It's more of a, a, a observation of what shitheads are as a unit. I um, have no legs. I have, I no, have legs. no legs. Um, but this movie was like, it, there was no safe harbor. None. It, it at one point unmoors itself, becomes extremely pornographic, and doesn't downshift until the credits. Um... And for those reasons, I think that this film is truly abominable. Um, yeah, I think and, and Ami's shift been. is like is like overnight. It's like one night she is the quiet, bullied Muslim girl who's like being bullied into trying to take a picture of a dude's cock in the bathroom. Right. To the next day, she is like going to try to beat the shit out of like high school juniors for no objective reason. She is <laughs> she she's pushing the fat girl in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> they're really mean to that fat girl it's like one of the four girls and they just spend the whole time being like <laughs> we also talk about how like the meanest of the cuties is the blonde one who's clearly the ugliest yeah I'm not gonna rate uh, which I think is the ugliest or most attractive <laughs> Dan but I'm gonna leave that to you <laughs> trapped <laughs> got him <laughs> I, I wrote and deleted that sirens. <laughs> I wrote and deleted that note like seven different times but I just thought it was really weird that like they had all these like sexualized girls and then one of them just has like horrible skin and i'm like based on the logic of how these cuties have been bullying everyone relentlessly like how did they have one that has just like fucking acne i was into more of the latina jennifer love hewitt looking one like the yeah. neighbor she was like yeah with her grandma glasses yeah they look like suspiciously like the ones i'm wearing right now. like that that <laughs> that child clearly had an eating disorder um yeah i mean we could go into just like what the effect of making this film had on these actual girls as well i mean there's there's no world in which the things that they learned to do in this movie didn't affect them in real life i think that's reprehensible i think that the same story could have been told with a 13 to 16 year old and would have done a little bit more in the favor of making it less uncomfortable these girls there's there's one moment where they're having a conversation where uh (laughs) they're talking about like the girls are talking about what it's like to get fucked and the one like like speculating as 11 year olds and i think the one says that like when you get like the dude's dick comes out of your mouth or something yes. like, <laughs> like someone had to write that and then like a director had to teach it to these little girls and then film them saying it like in this case all the same person this woman who made this movie who wrote directed produced and shot it it's just um yeah this movie was clearly like financed by dark money through elaine maxwell <laughs> um yeah, I mean, which begs the question: people? Like, how did it become so lauded and award-winning? If not, like, is if there is there nothing else a bigger 
like embodiment and condemnation of how up its own ass the artsy film community has become that you know that this movie got awards just because they were like oh this is so edgy like it's saying something we have to give this award yeah i mean before it reached america and it's at sundance and things like that i i mean i just assume those are crowds of people that make excuses for trash like this um that if there's any group of people that could excuse trash like this it's like it's the the french French. Um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it would have pleasured me greatly to have found this movie to be careful what, what it is, <laughs> what it is um, being defended as, but it just is not it's that. Not that. Um, I will not be reporting back to my work crew about this one. I will not be admitting I watched it. I'm very... Uh, I mean, like I told you, I watched this the week of Halloween and that this was the only horror movie that truly affected me of the 10 or so that I watched. Um, this was scarier than anything in Bly Manor. Um, yeah, the I only would... way that this this holds any weight is if there's a real come to Jesus moment, like a real turning. And the the way that they conveyed that, it, it was just a throwaway moment in the movie. They're, they they've reached They've reached the pinnacle, this giant dance competition, you know, it's starting to take the path that the film needs to take, which is that they do this over-sexualized dance routine, which I, like, we, we cannot exaggerate. Whatever you imagine yeah. someone would be willing to film imagine. a bunch of children doing, it's Hold definitely on, wait, Dan, worse second, than that. One second. Um, close your eyes, wherever you are right now listening to this episode, and I want you to imagine a bunch of 11-year-olds dancing, twerking, touching each other and the like. It's worse than that. It's worse yeah. than you could ever imagine. It is... Uh, it's I really went into grinding it grinding the ground. I went into it very fortified, just like this is not going to affect me. And I texted you throughout and was like, please help me. Please, please help me get through this. Like yeah. I The looks hard, on like, my face, the looks on my face during these scenes were just like I felt my face contorting into ways that I was just like right. I'm like I'm like looking out the window to see if the fucking FBI is going to break through my window at any moment. Like this film could have been made into a film that could have been awards bait, could have been decent enough. I mean, the girl who played Ami, like we said, was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it could have happened. And, and what you would have to do to make that work is go into every overly sexualized scene and just tone it the fuck down. Like an example of that is that there's one scene in which the girls are playing around with the cell phone that they have and they're looking up porn. Um, they are watching a golden shower porn video and talking actively about, oh, this dude's pissing in her mouth and blah, blah, blah. This is the kind of scene where you just don't need that. You yeah. just, all you needed to show was like, like they do in any movie where you just hear a girl go, uh, and then you just see like a hip and yeah. like a guy sweating. It's already fan. been established that yeah. these girls have been exposed to more than they probably should. Um, instead, it's like the most extreme. They always in this movie jump to the most extreme fucking imagery as possible. And it's like, I know for a fact that the intent of this film was not to shock outwardly. I don't think that was the point. And it's yeah. so pathetic that this director like couldn't see that the choices that she was making were going to make people uncomfortable, not in a way of like, like, um, just like deep forethinking and, 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 uh, critically dividing this film up, but really just making people sick. I mean, I was made to feel sick several yeah. times while watching I, it. I really, I like, I feel like that climax scene needs to be unpacked because it starts taking the direction where they're showing the crowd. Um, some of the crowd is starting to give them thumbs down. There's a mother like hiding her kids 
face so as to not watch it. There's some judges shaking their heads, and I'm like, okay, finally this movie is going to condemn this behavior. Then it cuts to like one guy who like is like dancing to it and like rooting, right? And then huge erection. But the, but, but Ami's turn, what it's so abrupt and and without catalyst it's literally like they're just mid dance routine she stops on a dime pauses starts crying and runs away and runs home yeah. nothing nothing spawns it it's literally as if they were filming the movie and like a producer was like no for real you need to like make her like this movie will not squeak through unless you make her change her mind about all this and the director was like all right quick change your mind but like nothing causes it so there, there's no payoff there's no there's no narrative arc to her character besides she's conservative she immediately gets corrupted she becomes way worse than everyone around her corrupts everyone around her starts to get ostracized works her way back into the situation convince pushes this poor fat girl in the group into a lake to get her spot back on the dance troupe <laughs> My favorite o- scene in the movie. only to immediately <laughs> bail on the dance routine right right i mean yeah and and what you're alluding to is like Ami's motivations and influences are better viewed like when the movie is completely over and two weeks pass and you can actually think about it. But as it's happening, there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of her actions. Like, for example, one of the most extreme moments in the fucking movie is when Ami is like, she's like getting into the internet and getting into the sexual culture and having problems with the cuties and like ends up like thinking that it's a good idea to like spread eagle on her bathroom floor and take a photo of her vagina and then post it on her oh, it's because it's because she doesn't actually own a cell phone she stole her cousin's cell phone right and her cousin discovers after weeks and weeks and weeks that she's the one who has the cell phone and um is trying to take it back and from mommy's perspective the internet and the phone is like the only thing that's gotten her into like what she thinks is like a popular level at school and like her friend group and she's become addicted to the the French movies version of Instagram of getting she's become addicted to likes. And she's like, all right, like in in my last ditch effort to get the cuties back on my side, I'm gonna fucking before I lose my cell phone, I'm gonna hide in the bathroom, I'm gonna take a picture of my snatch and I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna upload it. And then she goes to school and is like totally shocked yeah, to discover that that it like but like what human being like what human fucking being would ever think that that was okay i mean even your your base human instinct even if you're like for example like the whole half of my family that's black hat orthodox jewish right if i gave one of them a cell phone they wouldn't end up doing something like that because you know that even without the phone without the technology all you're basically doing is showing your private parts to the entire world there's no person that could ration that out in their (laughs) own mind despite trauma despite what she's going through and when she does it it I don't know how you felt about it, but when it happened, it's not like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, well, this is a natural progression of what's been happening here. It happened and I was just like, no, like, no, what? like what? No, why? Like both of us out loud, out loud. We're like, what? Why? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't land right. And I think a lot of moments it felt like, like an excuse to have a shot of her pulling her underwear out. Right. And, and OK. All right. And then there's another scene that, again, the messaging was 
weird and and the thoughts of how they filmed it really upset me there's a scene in which um ami and the girls are like running around in a laser tag place I, that's yes this is what i've been i wanted to talk this, about this scene this entire do, time this scene is bonk we could unpack this fucking scene i think for the <laughs> I, and, so and i think that the absolute funniest part about this scene is the way it ends <laughs> Um, so, Ami and her friends are in a laser tag center. They're waiting to hear on their cell phone back about whether they got into the dance competition. Um, a, a security guard, full-grown man, aged approximately 38, I would yeah. say. And um, it should be made clear at this point that it's been established that the cuties, like, in their free time when they're not, like, like having, like, trees finger bang them and stuff, is that, like, they run around just causing ruckus and fucking just running amok in right. businesses, malls, everything. They're just constantly causing chaos, doing shit that like no store owner would accept. They run around convenience stores just like trashing the place and dancing around and being loud, obnoxious idiots. Like they're just forever acting like they own the world and just gallivanting and causing chaos everywhere. Right. And and in this spree of chaos uh, at a laser tag center in which at one point all the girls are kind of like laying on top of each other in a pile with all their legs spread. And yes, again, while people are playing laser tag around them, while good <laughs> citizens are trying to play an honest game around them, these cuties are in a literal dog pile on top of each other right and yeah. so the security guy comes over and he starts haranguing them about like what that they didn't have passes to the place or yeah, something you, to that effect they're, they're like you came in without entering and they're like we didn't know we had to pay for your service so the security guard is like you didn't pay you got, girls gotta go you gotta go and they're all yelling at him but we wanna stay we wanna stay yeah. and then they're Enter. like and then they're basically like go fuck yourself and he's like alright I'm gonna call your mother and, like, and then they're like I'm gonna call the cops no, hold and on. he goes Enter. Um, at this point, enter a guy who looks kind of like Jeff Ross. Ethan Supley. Who's playing um, the other security guard, maybe this guy's boss. And he walks up to him and he's like, what's going on with you and these little girls? And he's like, these little girls like didn't pay and, and they're trying to yeah. say that I touched them and that didn't happen. And he's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And the girls, all of a sudden their phone rings. And they find out that they've been entered into the dance competition. So they naturally, they're celebrating, they're screaming. The security guards are yelling at them. Naturally, that's a generous use. The way they react to this news while while currently being threatened with the law is hilarious. Yeah, the security guard is literally like, I, I, you're all going to be rounded up and I'm going to call your parents. Yeah, he's like, I'm calling the police right now. And they just start dancing and bouncing and giggling and um, screaming. So it's at this point that... Um, they kind of explain to the security guards, hey, we we are dancers. We've got entered into this competition. We're very happy about it. Can you please let us go? And the guy, uh, Jeff Ross, kind of looks up and down. He's got, like, greased hair. Like, they literally greased this yeah. guy. So he, he, looks looks like, um, uh, he looks like the average demographic for whoever is actually watching Cuties. He, he looks like Ethan Supley in uh, The Hunt, like, with, like, that balding, like, comb over. Yeah, he's he, this guy looks unwell, and um, so then Ami goes, um, "Yes, we actually are dancers. Here, I'll prove it." Now, just imagine, if you will, we have two sweaty, disgusting security guards. These are men, and not only men, but actual actors. Again, think of the meta aspect of it, where you have yeah. grown men who are actors, fine, in a situation where now these girls are proving, quote unquote, that they're dancers. So Ami starts immediately twerking the camera as it does always in this movie yeah. immediately drops below sea level right to her crotch zooms in this girl is twerking then they cut to jeff ross and he's literally like sweating 
and looking up and down her body like for real and they have both and i made a note of this they have both in the frame at the same time so it's not even like they're like okay cut on ami and the yeah, guys weren't and even there film him separately no right. they are that he was there he was there not only there but instructed to look up and down the girls bodies yeah. as they are doing these dances and like smirk so like what where like in what universe is that even okay to film france right okay that's a good answer um yeah afterwards they're all like that was very tasteful Um, (laughs) as tasteful as usual pierre we were top irreversible um (laughs) so yeah i mean you have this situation where these girls are like i'm gonna call it twerking for their life and uh (laughs) proving to two disgusting laser tag security officers that they are in fact the cuties of fame and and literally like doing the most sexual moves possible sucking on their fingers and the guys look at each other and like all right there's a little much and then just kind of push them out of a door and let them go um yeah and that, um that's <laughs> put shivers down my spine yeah the, but the, the hilarious part was that the the first security guard is watching his boss like get a hard on to these girls twerking yes. and after, after he kicks them out he just looks at him and he goes really <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like meta in its own funny way but at the same time again you are actually i don't care if you're making a point about the hyper quote unquote making a point about the hypersexualization of girls you are actively doing that and whether on purpose or by mistake this movie was filled to the brim with yeah. actual exploitation and, and the most shocking part about that scene is that in france apparently laser tag is still a popular entity <laughs> wow you just probably offended half of the rz <laughs> i can only imagine that the rz is consistent of 10 percent guys that have actually been uh, considered professional hey, laser hey, taggers listen my uh my birthday is coming up in exactly one month from today and i was asked what i wanted to do because we're going to the poconos and i said that you know everyone was trying to say let's go snowboarding let's go skiing and i hate both of those things i hate the cold i didn't want to do that i was like i I literally said is there a laser tag arena anywhere around and everyone was like the fuck no and i was like then we can just chill and watch movies and they're like really i was like really what you want to do is play laser tag i was like yeah obviously I have no uh, no need to play laser tag after my last extremely negative experience with it. Almost ruined my entire life. No, thank you. What? What? When watching cuties? <laughs> no, when playing laser tag. Last time yeah. I played laser tag was extremely negative. Uh, you said your last laser tag experience. My last laser tag experience was watching it on cuties. <laughs> no, mine was in real life, and it was uh, something I'll have to tell you about after the podcast. Let's just say I ended up having too risque for the cuties episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> actually and let's just say that i did have to end up shaking it for two security guards um <laughs> no no i took too much acid in a laser tag arena and freaked out and then almost crashed my car driving home anyway um <clears throat> um so <laughs> that was noah's fault by the way <laughs> shout out he literally was like you are you are eating this sour gummy watermelon and i was like i'm not i'm trying to play arcade games and he was like you are and then it like we all had to leave. <laughs> Dude, can we just talk about how awesome laser tag was for a bit? Like, no, be- I, I didn't think you it was awesome at all. I th- the and, only kind of laser tag I ever thought was cool was the kind that you put on and ran around your neighborhood with. Um, uh, the, nah, the ones in the center I thought was really listen, man. Weird. Listen, man. So there was there was a place in Central Jersey called Fun Time America. Shout out. 
um, it was like the most state-of-the-art laser tag spot in New Jersey. And my uh, my Jew camp, when I was a kid, we used to take a trip every summer where they would rent out Funtime America, and we would sleep there overnight. You could sleep on the ski ball machines. You could sleep in the ball pit. This like, is where you got touched, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always trying to figure that out. Touched by the spirit of God who blessed me with my laser tag skills. But uh, the laser tag <laughs> arena. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> delete this whole minute of podcast <laughs> guys skip forward one minute to stop hearing this story this laser tag arena was multiple stories fucking you could be on the top level shooting down to people there were things popping out there were bases to destroy it was fucking epic well, i bet you got your bases destroyed <laughs> i bet you got your home base blown wide but, uh, open. dude while we were there they would rig all the machines to so that you wouldn't need money you could just play and god i'd play rampage and then i would just go slaughter fools and laser tag <laughs> and i'm just saying i'm trying to bring my my mindset back from more innocent time after discussing this film for the last hour um i love snowboarding laser tag is some indoor kid shit <laughs> fucking get a life <laughs> That's my summation. <laughs> um, Dan, would you like to give a rating to 2020's Cuties? I have been thinking about this for oh, a week. Me too. I've been thinking about it for two weeks. I, I don't know that I want something as sacrosanct as the Golden Gun rating system <laughs> to be involving Cuties. I feel yeah. like we, we need a new, a new rating scale. Like, it needs to get, like... How many Judies do you give... 2020s cuties i uh what do they call it when um when like a sexual offender needs to go from door to door to uh like tell the whole neighborhood what do they call that justice <laughs> <laughs> like we we need to give it like on a scale of how many of those things uh on a scale from how many feet you have to be from a playground how many are you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you said this wouldn't be fun. Yeah, I don't know, man, because, like, just there... you keep in mind, you gave The Haunting of Bly Manor a 6.5, so use that as the scale. Okay. I, I, there was the potential. There was a good movie in here. Yeah. N- not only the potential, there actually was pieces of a good movie. In yeah. It's, they right. existed. Um, it's so only like 20 minutes out of an hour and a half, but. In, in a vacuum, in a normal circumstance, I would have to give this movie like like a 6.5 probably for the good parts that worked however the the negative aspects of it <laughs> subvert those good parts so dramatically and make yeah. all of it not worth it and like how do you give a good rating to a movie that half of the time it? made me physically this like just this palpable discomfort right just, so like i give this movie like like a, like a, like a two. <laughs> You're gonna go with the two. Like, and because like I want to give it a zero because it's morally reprehensible. But like right. there are there is good filmmaking in it. Right. Like as a movie reviewer, I would say it's our duty to give this movie easily a five or a six because of a cinematography. B, uh, it was well acted. Yeah, C, yeah. it was it was shot fairly well. Um, <laughs> don't twist that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the parts that weren't full crotch uh, screen, edge to edge, um, I think were shot well. Like this movie needs the opposite of a director's cut. Yeah, this movie needs a, just a full hour shaved off of it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, if I were an actual movie critic and had to review this film, like, for a publication, I, I would shoot it at, like, a 5.5, maybe, but I do want to reflect the fact that this is dangerous art that should not be consumed and is just not appropriate for anyone. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to... Like, who is the target a, demographic for this? Like, I'm going to give this a 4 out of 10. And that's being generous because there is a world in which I should give this a 0. Because right. it didn't accomplish, in my opinion, its goals. And it didn't... It had so much mixed messaging in it that it, yeah. just, it just was just... Ugh, just it, awful. It, An exploitation. It had far too much me. exploitation to, so, <sighs> to fail so hard to achieve its goal. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a three out of ten, Dan. Yeah, I I don't want to give it anything like that. I like everyone. Anyone who's listened, hopefully, there's no one who was like, "Oh, they reviewed Cuties. This is the first time I'm gonna give this podcast a shot." Well, oh, I mean, if they actually I'm, I'm like sure a movie people, review, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll, po- I'll post it to r slash Cuties and see what happens. Don't but. ever open r slash Cuties, my friend. Don't ever, ever, ever open that. What did Cat think of this? Your 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 significant other watched this with you, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I wanted her to watch it because she's usually my voice of reason for things of this nature that like I dismiss, especially when it involves like female perspective. And she is a constant NPR listener, and she listened to it at like hour long interview with the director, so she actually wanted to watch it. Yeah, she was prepared. Uh, it sounded like, and her thoughts. and I, I re- her thoughts were exactly the same as mine. Wow. And and we came out of it with her just being like, I don't understand the purpose, and like. She also had the big issue with Ami's abrupt shift during the climax. She was just like, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Right. It, it just felt slapped together after the fact. Sure. Um, <laughs> afterwards, like she, uh, she even, she used one of my code go-to lines <laughs> where it, it ended, the credits rolled and no one said anything. And she just goes, well, that was a movie. For sure. <laughs> um, damn. Yeah. We, we, we followed it up by immediately watching, like, 11 episodes of Shit's Creek to just, like, feel better. <laughs> I want to make a joke about that, but I'm not going to. Dan, what would you give 2020 snuff film Judy's? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with a two. Okay. You know, I'll give it a two and a half. Two because and I half. thought it was pretty funny when she pushed the fat girl into the lake. I'm that a fan of bullying. to a 5.5 We need to make sure that this has... A lower rating than anything else like well, whatever you right did now, to ruin the collect cumulative score of speed racer has to be adjusted to be higher than this so far this is one of the lowest cumulatives we've ever had but still the lowest cumulative ever anti-coronavirus which is Tuesday oh right, oh, right. Um, and this was I definitely was, better than it <laughs> yeah this is a better movie than anti-coronavirus, but I would argue that this is a more dangerous watch. That <laughs> I'd say like, the messaging is equally dangerous. But like, if I were going to re- like make someone watch one or the other, it would hundred percent be anti-coronavirus. <laughs> yes, yes, without a doubt. <laughs> so like, for anti-corona to be a zero and this to be, a I don't even want anyone to know that I've watched this movie. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job with that by publishing this episode in 24 hours. <laughs> Dan, any final thoughts on uh, Netflix's cuties? Just how the fuck, like, Netflix is a competent company that, like, has totally revitalized and changed what 
it means to be a filmmaker and what is possible with the distribution of an acceptability of film marketing. Just how, how like, did this happen? How did this happen? Please, like, did, who lost their job? Tell me, someone lost their job. Like, uh, someone did. A lot. Of, I think a lot of people did. And and what? Like, why wanna, is it still there? What I want to want to say about it is exactly what you just said, which is. Um, that I am a huge proponent for the freedom of any kind of art. I'm a huge proponent for even things like Serbian film and stuff like that, where, you know, where a guy Absolutely. fucks his child to death. Um, uh, and, and for some reason, none of those things were as upsetting as this was. Um, this is a film. And no, I've I'll never watch, I would rather this. watch Salo a thousand times again before I watch this movie. I have never said this in my life, but this film should be pulled and deleted. Um, yeah. And replaced uh, with the Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie tapes. Yeah, Poughkeepsie tapes is fun. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, good, good God, this this really un really unraveled me to watch. And you know, and the thing is, with Serbian film, with things of that nature, all of the gratuitousness is done for the sake of shock of yeah. shocking the viewer, right? And making a statement of gratuitous violence and the need to subvert a desensitized right. horror audience. Um, French there, there is no, does that all the time. Yeah. Like, Martyrs does that with you for 20 minutes. Yeah. They show a girl getting tortured for 20 minutes. And the entire purpose is so that you feel what she is feeling and you transcend as well as yeah. the character does. There is no point for the extremities of this film. That no. This movie could have easily achieved what I, what the director, what, what I have heard from my partner, the director's purpose was to be this movie could have very easily achieved without filming the thing like a cardi b video and with that that is a glowing non-recommendation from the movie blues crew in terms of uh 2020s cuties um i kept trying to write jokes about like wops and i was just like i can't <laughs> Um, <laughs> delete, delete, delete. Um, dude, I, dude, the amount of how is this still on Netflix? Like, are they doing yeah. it like out of like, like it's a joke? It's like for them to keep it. It's like for them to remove it would be to admit that yes. they fucked up too badly, 100%. so they're keeping it there. Like they changed the art back. A hundred percent, dude. Like, I, it's it's so bizarre to me. The fact that it hasn't been pulled, I think, is a reprehensible. Um, act on netflix's part that i feel like things have been pulled for so much less than this yeah, in my lifetime just, I, you know this needs I, to go i'm never <laughs> someone i'm never someone who i thought would say this but like same like yeah they they need to stop fucking like kowtowing to woke culture and fucking yes. pull this thing <laughs> like, and you know that this is a result of that you know that the reason that this made it as far as it did is because all people care about anymore is diversity and being woke when they make me media in certain uh, circles and groups, <clears throat> Star Trek. And it's just like a matter of like, you need to do story first. Yeah. You need to always, you're, cause you're telling a fucking story. This isn't a political platform. It can be if you twist your story to fit a certain narrative. If you make a movie like The Hunt, where you're saying lots of things and you're having fun with it and you're not drilling it to death and making everyone sick. I mean, this was just like the worst version of what woke culture has allowed yeah. to seep through the cracks. And, and, I, and I'm a huge believer this. that the, the aversion 
to and the amount of things that get blamed on quote unquote world culture. I, I believe that is entirely overblown. I believe that's a total like why do you I think believe we're doing this world episode, culture yeah. has become like a total boogeyman that's just used to dismiss right. and fucking shut down shit that like actually has like a social need to be discussed. This is not that. This week the boogeyman was fucking real. And yeah. uh, on that note, I am sick to my stomach about thinking and talking about this movie. I'm erasing it from my fucking life. I'm very glad to do that because our next couple episodes are going to be a lot more fun. I'm concerned and, that the Netflix algorithm now like knows that I watch this and it's going to start recommending me shit. Like, I, hope so. I can't imagine what it could possibly recommend to me. That's like, is there like a secret? Like, if you if you use a VPN to sign onto Netflix, there's all sorts of fucking kitty porn on it. I just hope that you know. I mean, my phone has been off this whole time, so Zuck hasn't been hearing my 45 minute um, <laughs> review of fucking. Yeah, don't worry. Instead, we're using Squadcast, owned by Spotify. Ooh, problematic. All right, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Once again, I'm Boop and Dan. And I am Steven Lasker. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jay Cohn. I'm Josh Josh Boyer. (laughs) And I'm Josh Boyer's wife. (laughs) Dan, you want to grease up a of-age baby and throw it down the cuties hole for us one more time? No, no, not on this one. (laughs) This is a baby-free zone. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>